focusing on the Christ, um, looking at Jesus. Um, in the beginning of the year, we began that series looking at the shadow of Christ. And um, in the book of Hebrews, we're told that there are many things that were just shadows of Christ. They were, they were looking toward the coming of Jesus Christ. And so we, we looked at the Old Testament at many of those passages that really were indicative of the coming of Christ and who he was. And then we transitioned then into the life of Christ, looking at the birth of Christ. Um, and then we uh, considered the preparation for, um, for his ministry, oh, his youth, his birth, his youth. And then we began looking at his ministry. And we started out looking at his ministry um, in that part of the life of Christ, looking at the preparation for his ministry, the proclamation of his ministry. We moved on into the, par- the power of the parables. And then the last two weeks, we looked at the passion of his ministry. Today, I want to transition into the pattern of his ministry. Um, before we go into that, I just as a, a quick reminder, okay, you don't, some of you may have sermon note sheets. No, that's right, we didn't have enough, the ink for that, so you don't have sermon note sheets either. So I don't have, I don't have the overhead. I can say whatever I want today, and you guys can't keep me accountable. This is awesome. So as long as it's in the scripture, you can keep me accountable for scripture, but otherwise, you don't know what my, my plan was, so this is good. I can just stop it short whenever I want to. Um, but, um, when we when we talked about the preparation of Christ's ministry, um, does anybody remember the two major points that we looked at? Now, this goes back a while, but when we looked at the preparation of his ministry, what were the two major things that Christ did in preparing for his ministry? Do you remember what the two major areas were in his life? Where was he at before his ministry began? Out in the desert doing what? Praying and fasting, okay? And when, when Satan came to him and tempted him, how did he respond? With Scripture, okay? And so we talked about the importance of both prayer and the Word of God in the life of Christ. And so we talk about the Word of God and the presence of God and how important that is to prepare us for ministry. The last two weeks, when we were looking at the passion of Christ in his ministry, specifically the passion of his ministry, does anybody remember the two major passions, the, the primary passion and the secondary passion? Of Christ? Good. A love for God and a love for others. Okay? A love for people. And that was consistent with what he referred to as the greatest command, and then the second greatest command, and that is the greatest command being to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. And the second like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so his passions were consistent with that. But what what I think is interesting is then as we transition into the pattern of his ministry, I would think that this is Bob anyway, that the pattern of his ministry would be and should be consistent with what his passions were. Remember we talked about your passions being those strong emotions that, that um, have an effect upon all your decision making? Well, if, it, if your passions affect how you do things, then I would expect that it would affect the pattern of his ministry. I also would expect that the pattern of his ministry probably we would be consistent as well with how he initiated it. His preparation going into it would be consistent. And that's exactly what we find as we look to the Word of God. In fact, um, the Word of God is very clear, specifically clear, about customs, patterns, um, that Jesus had in his ministry. The first one we're going to see is in Luke chapter 4. So if you want to turn with me to Luke 4, turn with me to Luke 4. And I've got a lot of verses, but I'm going to cut through them and uh, because of the sake, for the sake of time here. But beginning of Luke 4, 
at verse 16. We see that Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And then it says, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to, to read. Drop down to verse 28. So all those in the synagogue, when they had heard these things, were filled with what? Filled with wrath. Now the first thing that we read very clearly here, that one of the customs of Jesus, one of his, his patterns of his ministry was, whenever he entered into a town, and we can look at some other verses here in a moment, whenever he entered into a town, what would he do? He'd go to synagogue. Jesus had a custom to ascend synagogue. Understand that you guys aren't going to have a necessarily accustomed to attend synagogue, right? Because we see that to be the, the, the place of worship for Jews. But let's transition that to Jesus Christ. If our master was accustomed to going to synagogue on the Sabbath or on the day to worship, what do you think would be the custom of his followers? To spend time with other believers. How many, how many times, though, have you heard people talk when you talk about, do you go to church and say, no, no, I don't go to church anymore. And you ask them, why don't you go to church anymore? What's one of the, the main reasons that they tell you? There's a bunch of hypocrites there. People are very, what, unfriendly at times, right? Now, I want you to think about what we just read. And I skipped the portion there where Jesus read from the book of Isaiah, and he told them today it's fulfilled in your in your business and stuff like that. But just what we read was that Jesus went to the synagogue in his hometown, read the scripture, right? Talked a little bit. And when they left the synagogue, what did they try to do? They tried to kill him. When's the last time, honestly, you went to church and people tried to kill you? Okay? And so, anyways, I, I, I really get, I get, I get tired of that, the, the comments about, oh, people are hypocrites and they don't like me. And it's like... You're not going there for what? For the people. What's the purpose of going to, if you would, using the term here, synagogue, or going to the assembly place to worship God? To worship God. That's exactly, I mean, that just, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, that's, I'm, I'm going to the assembly place to worship God, so that means I should be going there to worship God. I mean, I know this just sounds redundant, but so many times, honestly, today, in our culture today, people are not going to the assembly, they're not going to a church to use that instead of synagogue. God, why are they going? Socialize, fellowship, say again, entertainment, punch a ticket. They promised grandma they'd do it. There are a lot of wrong reasons that people go to the assembly. They go to the they go to church, okay? whether it's to try to earn points thinking that they're, they got works and they can get their, earn their way to heaven, or whether it's purely for totally selfish motives, which even works as a selfish motive as it is. But we are self-focused. It's all about me rather than about God. The thing I see about Jesus when he goes, it's all about others. It was about God because he's going to worship. He's going for the reading of the word. But also when he goes there, he's ministering to, to people. He didn't go for himself. He went in a manner that was consistent with his, his primary and secondary passion. And so, 
Now, I know. I used to say, why are you here today? Well, you're here today. We're at the lake for the, for the tape's sake. We're here because there's a baptism. So clearly, you all can say, well, I'm here because it's baptism. Okay? But if you weren't, if it wasn't a special baptism today, would you be with the assembly or not? That's the question. Well, let's look at some of these passages because um, it talks about this custom that Jesus had. Mark 1, 21. In fact, for the sake of time, let me just pass some of these out. Somebody want to read Mark 1, 21? Not everybody at one time, no. Who, who wants to volunteer? All right, Steve. Somebody want to volunteer to take Matthew 4, verse 23? All right, Daniel in the back. Somebody want to take Matthew 9, verse 35? And Matthew 13, verse 54? All right, Ben. And then finally, John 18, verses 19 to 20. Jessica, okay? All right. Um, Mark one twenty one, Steve. Okay, and so when did he go? Um, when did he go to synagogue? But when? What did it say? Immediately. Okay, he didn't delay. It was important to him. Okay, Matthew four verse twenty three. Okay, and so where did he go into the synagogues at? All over Galilee. So as he went, he didn't stop. Okay, Matthew 9.35. Okay, all the cities and all the villages, Matthew 13.54. Okay, his own country, his own hometown. Okay, and then John 18, 19 to 20. Okay, and so we're told that Jesus, wherever he was at, he went there. He would go to synagogue. Okay, now I'm going to make a quick Reflection here, just real quickly. But when you go on vacation, if it happens to be over a weekend, how important is it for you to go where the believers gather on the day of worship? Or do you see that as a time to take off from church? Well, you know, we're away. It doesn't really matter. No one knows. We're just, you know, we don't need to do that. Because Jesus said... You don't need to worship me there. You can worship me wherever you're at. So let's, we're on vacation, so let's worship them on the beach. I want to challenge you with that thought process. Okay? That it doesn't have to be, it's not a matter of earning favor by going, but it's a matter of passion. For Jesus, he said that where he was at, he wanted to gather where the Jews met together for, for worship. Now, and we can minimize and we can say, well, he had a preaching he was an itinerant preacher. He had a conference ministry. And so very clearly it was a business decision for him because he was traveling about doing what? Preaching the word, trying to get followers. And so, you know, if that, that makes sense for him, that'd be like, you know, David Jeremiah or, you know, someone, you know, John Piper or, or somebody else, you know, they're going to go to that, that city and they're just going to go and they're going to, they're going to go to that, that, that church. And no. Sometimes we minimize 
I really do think we minimized the gathering. What does Hebrews chapter 10 say about gathering together? To, to not take the assembling ourselves. Does anybody know what that's built upon the foundation of? I mean, what the writer of Hebrews said that, and, and do not forsake the assembling as ourselves together is so, is so much more as we see the day approaching. What was that built upon the foundation of? Let me read you the context, because it's really interesting. In Hebrews 10, beginning verse 19, it says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, then he gives us three let us. So because of Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, because of the cleansing that we have because of the blood of Christ, because I can enter into the holiest of holies, into the, into the presence of God, because I can do those three, because I can do that, there are three things that I should do. First of all, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Secondly, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. And thirdly, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is in the manner of some. So, because if I've been saved, if I've been cleansed with the blood of Christ, and because I can draw into the Holy of Holies now, I'm supposed to pray, I'm supposed to draw into the presence of Christ, I'm supposed to hold fast my faith, and I'm supposed to care about you guys. I'm supposed to care about you, and I'm supposed to look out for your goods, provoke one another to love and good works, and the only way I can do that, it says, is not to forsake the assembling. I mean, if we don't get together, I can't what? Worry about taking care of you. Does that make sense? It's just kind of a no-brainer. I mean, so if we all have, we're all going to do our scattered little thing and we're going to, I'm going to meet over here and I'm going to meet over here and, you know, I don't have to go to church in order to worship God. That's true. However, God says that his people are going to have a desire to do what? Gather together. In fact, from the beginning, it was so. Acts 2, verse 41 says, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added. We talked about that earlier. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayer. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food. It wasn't even a matter of just once a week. They had a desire to get together often as they could. So I want to challenge you about Christ, first of all. His custom of his ministry, the pattern of his ministry, first, number one custom was to, to, he had a desire to go where the Jews were meeting for corporate worship, and he went there. Secondly, it was his custom to teach. We saw that every time he went to the synagogue, what did he have a desire to do? To teach God's word, Okay. And so, in Mark 10, verse 1, if you want to turn there, we can read that one together. So we can see that. Mark 10, verse 1. Beginning Mark 10, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus arose from there and came to Judea by the other side of the Jordan. And multitudes gathered to him again, and as he was 
accustomed, as it was his pattern, he taught them again. Christ's pattern for the word of God to be present in his ministry all the time. Listen, when Jesus gathered together, he healed lepers, he he healed blind people, uh, he fed people. But if you go throughout all these times when there's a gathering together, Jesus is always what? Teaching the word, teaching the word, teaching the word. He may feed people, but he only fed people after he what? Gave them the real meat. He gave them real meat, and then he gave them the physical food. Teaching was important. In Matthew 5, verse 1 and 2, you all know the, the, um, the Beatitudes and the Sermon of The beginning of it, it says, in verse 1, it says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them. It says, seeing the multitudes, Jesus had an instant desire. And what was that? To teach them. To teach them. In fact, later, Mark 6, verse 34, it says, Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them. Remember that word, passion? He was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them. When you look at people in the world, remember this is the passion for God and the passion for people, right? So when you look at people, how do you see them? Do you see them as annoyances? Do you see them as people who get in your way? Or do you see them as people made in the image and likeness of God, and they're eternal beings then, and they're going to spend forever either in heaven or in hell? Does it ever enter your mind? Or do you judge the book by its cover? See, because I've talked about it many times, and many of you heard me say it, but you know, when I ask the question, how many of you can see me? The reality is you can't see me. You see the tent that I live in. One day this tent is going to cease here on the earth. This body that I live in, this, this mortal will put on. But this one's going to go, it's going to go in the grave. But I, living inside here, will get a new tent. Do you get it? So many times we look at people by their what? Their tent. You know, some people have bigger tents than other people have. You know? Some people have more decorative tents than other people have. And we gauge people based upon their tent. And we fail to realize that they are an eternal being. But when Jesus, every time Jesus looked at people, he looked at the soul. He looked at the person. And when he did, when he saw the multitudes, then he had a compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. You know, some people who are the most annoyances to you are such because they don't have Jesus. Do you get it? And so, instead of me getting mad at them and wanting to poof them into hell, you know, as quick as I can, what should be my Christ-like pattern? I should have compassion for them and want to tell them the the truth, to tell them the, the word of God. That's what Jesus did. Had a desire to to share, to proclaim the truth. In fact, from the very beginning of his ministry, we read that repent, the kingdom of God is at at hand. Remember when we talked about his proclamation of his ministry. Um, In Matthew 28, when we read about the Great Commission, I shared that this morning with the baptism. 
as well. We didn't, I didn't go on to verse 20 as well, but it says, it says, Jesus um, said, therefore go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But also then the third part of the process of discipleship was, is what? Teaching. Teaching them whatsoever things that I have taught you. Okay? And and with you always, even to the end of the age. And so the process of making a disciple, that's what Jesus told us to do, make disciples, first of all, is to go. Second of all, is to baptize or to proclaim the gospel so that Stephen gets saved. But then third, so think about it, two-thirds of the Great Commission involves what? The Word of God. i got to give them the Word of God so they can be saved, and then I continue to give them what? The word of God, so that they can they can, in the grace of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In fact, when Paul he was summing up his ministry and he was giving his final charge to Timothy, what was this? Does anybody know what what he told Timothy to do? He says, "I charge you, therefore, before God and Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing in His kingdom, preach the preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. That means today I'm what." I'm in season, right? Why am I in season? Well, Sunday, but I'm, I'm prepared. I'm prepared, you know? I got my outline. It's two pages. You're in trouble. No, I'm, I'm already on the second side. Okay? Um, but that, that's good for some of you. If you're thinking, whew. Uh, but I'm ready. I'm in season. I'm prepared for it. Does that make sense? But sometimes we got to be able to preach. We got to be able to teach. We got to be able to share. Which means I'm not ready for it. I'm not ready for for the moment. But I still have to do it. What does that mean that I have to have in my back pocket? A little bit of knowledge. Does that make sense? I mean, I don't always know when my tire is going to flat become flat. Do you? I mean, there are times in season. Theoretically, that we're going to change tires, we're going to rotate tires, we're going to take it to Sam's, Walmart, wherever you're going to go. And that's you're doing that maintenance in season. But sometimes you're riding down that highway, and what happens? Your tire decides that it's time to change. And you're what? You're out of season. I've thought about my work van a lot. They're trying to think, where's my spare tire at? <laughs> Where, where's my jack at? I mean, if it happened, I'd be out of season and I would be totally out of, yeah, commission. My commission, talking about the great commission, my commission would be over. I mean, I, 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 if I don't know where my tire is at and I don't know where my, 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 uh, what do you call it? Jack, thank you. My jack's at. I'm in trouble. Well, it's the same way with evangelizing and teaching the word of God. I'm going to be teaching a class, you might be teaching a class, and you're ready for it. Or you know the Jehovah Witnesses are coming because you told them to come back, and come back in two weeks, and so you're, you're boned up, you're ready for them, you're prepared. But there are times when the Jehovah Witnesses, they don't let you know they're coming, and they just kind of knock on the door. And the Mormons, you know, they didn't send you a telegram ahead of time saying, we're going to be in your neighborhood next Tuesday, around 10 o'clock we'll be at your house. Honestly, if they ever did that, most people would do what? They do the same thing that happens when we go on a Sunday nights. They're home. I can hear them. They're shushing the dogs. But they don't answer the door. They, look, they peek through the window. Oh, you know? And we do the same thing. We shouldn't do the same thing. 
We should be excited. We should be prepared. Well, we don't always get that opportunity to be prepared. And so you ought to be ready to preach the word in season and out of season. That word preach isn't what I'm doing right now. And in a sense, I am proclaiming. But so many times we talk about the preacher. Who's the preacher? The one who's saying the word. But we look at the, the pastor. We point fingers at the guy who's preaching at church. I'm not a preacher. I'm a teacher. I hear that a lot. You ain't no preacher. You're, a, you're right. I'm a teacher. That's what I'm told to do. My job as a pastor is to teach, is to equip you. Y'all's job, including me, is to be preachers. That's what Jesus told us to do in Mark 16, verse 15. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Preach it. The word is keruso in the Greek. Have any of you ever watch um, opera? Some? A little bit? Enrique Caruso? Okay, it was a tenor. And he would what? You know, and, and that's the, that's his name is really what he did. He proclaimed, he belted it out. Okay. It's a herald. So when you think of heraldry, the herald was the one who went before the king and said, the king is coming. The great king is coming. The one who reigns over the world. And that's what you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be the one going King Jesus throughout the world, proclaiming that the king is coming. He's here. In fact, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So that's what we're all supposed to do. So just as Jesus had a custom to go to where the, the believers meet, to go to where the worship God, he got a custom also to be teaching and proclaiming the, the word of God. As his follower, that should be a pattern of my ministry as well. And you men who were in the men's breakfast a month, we talked about it. We each are called to the the ministry. We think, oh, Bob's the minister. No, I'm not. Actually, we're all called to be ministers, servants of Jesus Christ. So many times we, we put labels on professionals and, and make them professionals, and it's the wrong thing to do. The, one of the main problems with the church today is the church doesn't function as a, as a church. It, it, you know, I almost... Right here, we're, we're in the round. It's kind of, I almost feel like I'm at a concert stage, you know, where, you know, you, you got people all around. And, and church, other than participatory. And so I was excited during the baptisms and, you know, having the, um, doing those things and, and participating. And that's great. Third thing. What was the third thing that is a custom of Jesus's ministry um, that would be consistent with his preparation and with his passions? Well, turn with me to Luke 22. Luke chapter 22. Beginning at verse 39. It says, Coming out, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed. Well, he was accustomed to going to the Mount of Olives? Well, not necessarily. Continue on. He went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, in other words, that place, that he's accustomed to going out to the Mount of Olives, and it's because of this what? This place. Well, what's this place? He said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and he prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours will be done. Yours to be done. Well, what was the custom of Jesus in his ministry? To get away to pray. 
Jesus was accustomed in the mo- setting aside for a period of time that he could pray. And one of the places that he went to very clearly is the, the Garden of Gethsemane, that we, we the Mount of Olives. But I want to share with you some other passages here real quick. We know in Matthew 4, verses 1 and 2, before Jesus was tempted, he did what? He went out in the wilderness for 40 days. 40 days, and he fasted and he prayed. Prayed for 40 days. Mark 1, verse 35 says, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. Now, I read one verse there, but he went out great while yet before day, and he went out to pray. Does anybody know the context? Is that that, that verse is, and you, you know when it happened? That was the, the morning after in Capernaum at Peter's house, and all the people came to be healed. Remember, Peter's mother-in-law was, was, had a, well, and Jesus went in and healed her, right? And then all of a sudden the house was just packed with people who wanted to be healed. So it was a long evening, we're told, that all night he was healing everybody. Now, I, but you, but if I was ministering all into the night, the next day I want to what? Sleep in. Sleep in. Some of you are excited that service didn't start till 10.30 today. No, some of you had to go a whole lot longer. You probably left at 7 this morning. But, but anyway, but as a whole, we want to think, oh, man, I, I, I worked late last night, whatever. I served late last night. I ministered late last night. Therefore, I get to sleep in. Jesus, In fact, Jesus got up a great while yet. It was before day. In fact, the next verse we read that his disciples are out looking for him. They sleeping. <laughs> he got, just got up before it was day, and he went out and found a solitary place to pray. His disciples were still sleeping. When they woke up, he was gone. So they went out looking and said, "Hey, everybody's looking for you." And he says, "Well, they're going to miss me because we're going to move on to the other cities." So, but he got up <clears throat> instead of saying, "I want a little bit more sleep." In Luke six, we read, "Now it came to pass in those days that he went out on the mountain to pray." And continued all night in prayer. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. And from them he chose twelve, whom he named apostles. Before Jesus chose his twelve apostles, he spent all night in prayer. And you know from last week, when we, when we talked about when, um, after John was beheaded, Jesus did what? He wanted to go find a Solitary place, but what happened? The people beat him there. The multitude beat him there. And so when he in, he saw the multitude and he had compassion for them. Instead of shooing them away, saying, listen, this is my solitary place, he ministered to them all day. And then he spent all night in prayer. Well, how do I know it was all night? Because we're told that he left from there. He told his disciples to go. And we're told that in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them. Out in the water. Fran, what's the fourth watch? You're not Navy? Oh, man, that's not good. It's still the same in the Army. Who's who's got fourth watch? Who knows what a fourth watch is? The military is not the same anymore. That's all i got to say. The fourth watch is the last watch of the night. It's in the wee hours in the morning. That's around 3 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning. That's when you attacked. 
because people were always tired. It was the last watch of the night, fourth watch of the night. And so that means that Jesus had been on the mountain praying through the night. He had just, remember, think about the emotional drain that he had. John was beheaded. He was emotionally distraught, if you would, coming from the human perspective. And he wants us to find some alone time. But when he gets there, he finds what? Thousands of people. Remember, there was 5,000 men, not counting women and children, who were waiting for him. And he teaches them all day. At the end of the day, he tells the disciples, give them something to eat. And he says, oh, I'm going to do this. And he says, fine, fine, have them sit down. And then he feeds them, right? And then he tells his disciples to leave. And then he's got to, to shoo the people away. Fran and I were talking about it. I mean, I'll do it. I don't know. I don't know how he did that. I mean, it's kind of interesting. Yeah. You know, 7,000 people, and he tells them all to leave, and they do. <laughs> Anyways, but then he spends, he doesn't sleep. He goes up and he prays. Again, Bob, at that point, being the introvert that I am, I'm drained. You know? I mean, I'm just wiped out. I want to sleep. Sometimes it takes extra special willpower because it's important to you to spend time with God alone. And so my, my challenge to you is in that when is the last time that honestly you purposefully, purposely set your side apart for a period of time so you could pray? Now, I'm not talking about praying at dinner or, or you know, lunch, supper, breakfast. I'm talking about that you took time and you set it aside because you wanted to pray. Sometimes in the morning. But most of the time, honestly, let's face it, most of our quiet time turns out being what? If you have quiet time, what's most of it turn out to be? Bible reading. Bible reading. Now, is there anything wrong necessarily with Bible reading by itself? No, there's nothing wrong with Bible reading. But it's still not the communication. Ladies, it's enjoyable, isn't it, to sit down with your husband and maybe watch a video together. But would you rather sit down and watch a video together all the time or would you rather have some communication with your husband? Communication, right? Right? Okay. I mean, you know, every once in a while you want to watch a movie. That's okay. But the reality is you want to have face-to-face -face communication. Sitting on either ends of the, uh, of the couch reading a book. But what kind of relationship's happening? Not a whole lot. You have to have time where you're what? That's what prayer is. Prayer is communication with God. And Jesus, being God in the flesh, I, I, it's hard for me to struggle with sometimes. When Jesus was in the flesh, he decided that it was very important for him to have fellowship with his Father. He could have done it whenever he wanted to. I mean, I don't know about you, but we always say, well, you know, I can pray through the day. I don't have to set aside a certain time. I don't have to put aside this. I can pray through the day and I can talk to the Father. But I think it's interesting that Jesus, when he was on the earth, decided that it was important to set aside blocks of time that he could spend in close fellowship with the Father. Now, if God on the earth thought that was important, what about mere humans? And so we're told in 1 Thessalonians 5, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. In Acts 4, we're, we're given a picture of the, the, the early church um, after um, they had been warned not to preach in Jesus' name, they got together and, and they prayed. And it says, They raised their voice to God with one accord and said, 
Lord, you are God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea that is all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David had said, and they continue on, and then they go on. He said, now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Now, it's not talking about the apostles. It's talking about all the disciples, all the believers. They got together and they said, Lord. And, and when they, it's boldness that we can proclaim your word. Note the patterns. They gathered together, right? Remember the first, first part of the pattern, right? First thing he was accustomed to is they what? He gathered together. First, they gathered together. Thing, what did they do? They prayed. And they, what did they pray for? They prayed for boldness that they could what? Proclaim the word. Do you get it? That's, again, the early church mirrored those three patterns that Jesus had. To gather, to proclaim. Honestly, when you look at your life, would you say that that eat, work, eat, sleep, repeat. Sleep, eat, work, eat, sleep. Sleep, eat, work, eat, sleep. Sometimes that's our the pattern. That's what we do. We sleep. We wake up in the morning. We, we eat. We go to work. We come home. We, we eat. Maybe you throw TV in there. And then you what? Sleep. What kingdom good is that? That's why you're here on the earth. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you, ex- you, you, you took on a new role. You became an ambassador of Jesus Christ, a representative of his kingdom. You don't have to get paid to do that. What changes in your customs and patterns do you need to make to become more Christ-like? And even more importantly then, are you willing to to make them? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it is quick and powerful and sharper than the two-edged sword. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be faithful to you. Lord, not seeking to earn points, not a matter of um, ourselves, but Lord, um, to look at you as our master, as our savior, and desiring to to walk according to the pattern that you've set for us. You've told us in your word that that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And that purpose being that we would be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that we we would be faithful to do so, that you'd be honored and glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.